Grace, peace, and mercy be with you through Jesus Christ our Lord on this fourth Sunday after Pentecost. Amen. Hi, Smith. <laughs> nice to see all of you are here today, all five of you. That's great to see you all. So glad you're here. And Garcia's too, you're all here. Buyers. Still got a few seats left, folks, if you're watching. So if you want to venture here out to church, we'll be here next Sunday. Well, Hananiah, what a nice name, huh? It's got a nice ring to it. Some people give their children names from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, even prophets' names, such as Daniel. It's a pretty popular one. Even uh, Jeremiah or Micah. You have Joel, that's pretty popular too. And, uh, yeah, Nathan, Ezekiel. I've heard that one a few times. Know anyone named Hananiah? <laughs> yeah, Hannah. So that's the female version, I guess. But, uh, but there may be a reason why people don't name their sons Hananiah. Why would you give your son the name of a famous false prophet? Famous because his name appears in Jeremiah's scroll. You know, there were plenty of false prophets to go around back then whose names didn't make it into the scriptures. So, Hananiah is well known. Other than this little scene in Jeremiah, though, we know nothing else about him. Before we go looking uh, through this text, though, I want to mention to you that, uh, that biblical literacy is definitely a thing. You know, it's, a, it's an important thing to each and every Christian. It's, it's one thing to say you're Christian, but it's another thing to know something about this God and man Jesus whom you say you believe in and follow. I've heard people say, I mean, nobody here, but I mean, I, I have heard it. I've heard people say, I, I believe in Jesus and, and that's all that matters. You know, I don't need all this other stuff from the Bible. I know I'm saved. Well, I would say, if that's you, you're selling yourself short. You run the risk, and, and I've even seen it, of letting the world form what you believe rather than the God who made you. And when on the chance you happen to read the scriptures, you find, to your surprise, that, oh, the Bible doesn't line up with what I think. And it becomes a faith problem. Now more than ever is the time to get smarter on the Bible. I mean, I, we had to put our Sunday school on hold. We, we don't have our Bible study anymore. So hear it, read it, contemplate it, study it. You don't have to be the minister to know what the Bible says about this and that. And most of it is understandable, right? You know this. I say most of it because, yeah, there are some parts that are truly baffling. But not today's reading. Oh, and one, one more thing before we get into this reading. One more thing. There are Christians of various traditions and denominations across the country who are saying right now, and they're, they're, they're saying this to pastors like me and also to you, congregants, right? They're saying, if you're not preaching against racism and hatred, hatred from the pulpit, then you're ignoring the issue and you're being part of the problem. 
commentator I read said that he went to a white church recently, and from, from what he heard coming from the pulpit, you wouldn't know there was anything going on. You wouldn't know. There are race-related riots going on in the country. It's true. For centuries, the church has been a gathering where people get their news of what's going on in the world, or if not the world, their local context. It's also the case that when the church proclaims God's word, she does it in a way which brings the word to bear on current events. But preaching is also where the hearer, if she's listening and applies herself, improves her biblical literacy. You know, you learn a little bit more about Jesus on Sunday than you did, than you knew the last Sunday. Right? It's simple. You know, it's not completely about grinding the axe against injustice week after week after week. There's always next Sunday. Because there's going to be something going on wrong in the world next Sunday too, isn't there? And I know from experience that if I'm preoccupied with current affairs, I end up giving lip service to the scriptures, and I get it wrong. So, today let's get a little biblical literacy going on here. Because after all, we have a helper, don't we? A Holy Spirit who dwells in us and interprets the, scripture, the scriptures for us. And creates faith by it and builds us up with it. He builds us up to be less like the uninformed brothers. And more like Christ. To be able then to love instead of hate. To build each other up instead of tear them down. And to change our old racist ways into new ways which benefit all people. So what about this character Hananiah? What does he have to do with us or anything? Well, he's got a lot to do with fake news. That's pretty relevant. But remember, Hananiah and Jeremiah, these guys are 600 years before Jesus is born. There's no Roman Empire yet controlling Judea and the Bible lands, you know, the lands of the Bible. Instead, you've got all these little empires and kingdoms all over the place. And Israel and Judah are two of them, surrounded by enemies. You got the Assyrian Empire in the north of the northern kingdom of Israel, and you got the Babylonian Empire of the southeast and the kingdom of Judah, southern people of Israel. God's people will be dispersed all over the place, taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. Say that after me, okay? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, I think I'm getting that as close to the Akkadian, ancient Akkadian language as I can. Likewise, Hananiah, if I'm getting this right in Hebrew, more like Hananiah. Right? There is no ah in the Hebrew, there's just ah, and the accent is on the last vowel. So, Hananiah. But, anyways, Nebuchadnezzar, for a while, he would dominate God's people. And steal all their stuff, including all the items of worship in the temple. All the furniture, all the curtains, all of the uh, vessels, you know, like the communion ware that we have. All the lampstands, all the bowls for washing. All that stuff Nebuchadnezzar would take to his own kingdom and plunder it, right? I mean, there must have been truckloads of stuff hauled out of Jerusalem 
and the outlying cities when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah. He would hold all that stuff captive, and the people too. How could God allow this? Oh, by the way, here's Nebuchadnezzar. Who do you suppose does his hair, huh? (laughs) Those are some dreads up there. Isn't God the defender of his people? How could he allow this guy to do that much damage to the people of God? That's what we say God does now for us, right? Defends us? I mean, kids come up here for communion. I bless them and say, may the Lord protect you and defend you. Well, if that's true, what about Israel all those years ago? Well, if your belief about God being your defender is based on the assumption of earthly success and honor and prosperity that comes naturally to believers, then you might have a problem with the way God dealt with the people of Judah back then. Hey, even today in our age, we hear the voice of false prophets like Hananiah who say things like, if you have faith, God will heal you. If you have faith, God will protect your livelihood, your things. He will keep you from hardship if you have faith. A kind of gumball machine God. You know, where you you place your faith in the coin slot, turn the knob, and and blessings will come rolling out of the dispenser. A name it and claim it relationship with God. But remember what Jesus says. This is where it's important to know what he says about these things. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy your things, and you including, and robbers break in and steal. You know, when Jesus said that, you wonder if he had Hananiah all those years before on his mind. Because he's teaching people not to listen to those types of prophets. Hananiah, those kind of prophets want us to be comfortable with earthly comforts and kingdoms that promise prosperity. We know God establishes government for the benefit of the people. And the good old USA is is that, despite our many failings and shortcomings. But how much do we assume God is the supporter of anyone's certain homeland? The old Prussian nation no longer exists, and they were all Lutheran. So don't fall into the trap of thinking... We should all be Lutherans in this country because it's already been done. And it didn't last. Kingdoms and nations will rise and topple. They come and go until Jesus returns. This isn't to say that we want our nation to topple before Jesus returns. It's to say that we shouldn't put all our hopes and dreams into national accomplishments and skills and glories which are passing away before our very eyes. It's hard, though, because we even seek miracles sometimes from God that often have to do with earthly healing and paying the bills and creating wealth, obtaining success, when the miracle we should be seeking and desiring with all our hearts and minds is for this earth to pass away. 
and have Jesus bring on the new ones in the new heavens where moth and rust will no longer destroy neither will viruses nor hatred of sinful hearted people. That's the miracle we desire. Hananiah preached God was going to bring peace and earthly victory to Israel in two years. And don't you love Jeremiah's response? When that prophecy happens, then we'll know you're a true prophet from God, he tells him. And what actually happened? Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed his conquest of Judah and got fat off the spoils for many, many years. I tried to find out how many years, but it was taking too much time and I gave up. <laughs> but it was a lot longer than two years. So Hananiah's prophecy did not come true, proving he was a false prophet. If only Hananiah's peace prophecy had been about the Messiah, Jesus, who would bring true peace in such a way that no one anticipated. Instead of some short-term lie, which Hananiah supposed would make the people pleased with him. But see, Hananiah is not a true prophet of God. And besides, even Jesus himself, the ultimate prophet, right? God in the flesh. He would say, I have not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Yeah, he's the prince of peace, all right. But his peace doesn't coexist with evil. He doesn't surrender, or he didn't surrender to his enemies, or sacrifice the truth, or love, for the sake of being quiet and making people happy and getting along with everyone. Jesus overcomes evil by taking all its lies, all its threats, all its furies, all its murderous rage, he takes it all into himself, cross and comes out alive in the grave victorious. He dies on the cross and rose from the grave to win the victory for you and me because we cannot even begin to do that for ourselves. Jeremiah sounds like a, a gloom and doom prophet, doesn't it? And I suppose when you're famously known as the weeping prophet, you're not exactly going to be known for your exuberant joy and positive outlook. But if Jeremiah is a prophet of doom, it's to doom the hopes and dreams of false prophets. Jeremiah speaks of our God who does determine what's right and wrong, not based on popular opinion, but on his all-knowing love for people. Jeremiah speaks of the God of truth who sees people through when kingdoms topple and rulers and fortunes perish. His victories are timeless, and his people, such as you and me, are eternal. Most important, Jeremiah teaches us how to tell true prophets from the false ones. Well, in the scriptures, anyways, right? Because we know that when it comes to the promises of God and eternity, and what he's already revealed to us, there aren't now or going to be any more prophets, are there? What we already have is enough for salvation. This is why we cannot be in fellowship with churches who claim to have prophets who receive continuing prophecies and revelations from God. The true prophets, 
such as Jeremiah, have told us God will raise up a Savior who cannot be corrupted and will not fail. That's from Jeremiah 23 and 33. That wasn't in our readings today, but you can read those on your own. God will... God is not satisfied with Jeremiah's words just being ancient words. They're his words. He gives us knowledge through them of salvation and keeps us in the faith. Jeremiah's words come, have come true through the work of Jesus Christ, the one whom all the prophets spoke of, even the minor ones. Jesus delivered us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And he's brought us true and everlasting peace that can only come from him. Jesus has already endured the deadliest weapons the enemy could throw at him. And he's won victoriously for you. How do we know Jeremiah is a true prophet? Because his words have come true in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have peace. So may that peace which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Amen.